0: Welcome to Airtime, a podcast by Elevate Aviation, exploring all things aviation with a focus on the people inside the industry and their careers. Here is your host and podcast producer, Kendra Kincaid.
1: Hello to everyone that's joining us. Um, thank you so much, everyone, for, for joining us. And I'm really happy that you ladies joined in this panel. I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation today. Uh, I'm really excited, so um, I am uh, gonna get going. You guys ready? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Anyone nervous? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be nervous. Don't, people are usually nice with their questions, unless unless today's different. But we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, again, good morning, everyone, and thank you all for joining us today for part four of our six-part series called Aviation Frontline Workers and COVID-19. Today, we are joined by guests from flying schools. Uh, Before I introduce them, as always, I want to say how much we appreciate that you took time to join us today to come on and and hear what our guests have to say about the aviation industry. There is a Q&A button at the bottom of your screen. You can ask questions throughout the entire thing, and we'll try to get to everyone's questions. So flying schools. Before COVID-19 struck, the aviation industry was facing massive shortages. There were lots of numbers flying around, and two of the stats I pulled up said this. The world will need 255,000 new airline pilots by 2027 to offset both the effect of retirement and the industry growth. The second stat I found said that aviation will need 790,000 new pilots by 2037. But then COVID struck. So now what? Now, flying schools across the country are shutting their doors. Before COVID-19, it was rumored that some schools shut down, but for a very different reason. They couldn't train people fast enough uh, and have um, pilots to stay on as instructors. The instructors were all leaving for the airlines, flying schools couldn't meet the demand of pumping out pilots fast enough to meet the requirements of the airlines. The the desire to find more women to become pilots was also really high. Pressure from women's groups, organizations, and frankly, just where we're going in life had airline industries opening their arms to women, changing cultures, and pumping out more effort than ever before to encourage women to look at becoming pilots. But now, what is that going to change? What are flying schools going to do now? What are they going to do during the shutdown? Are they ready for the demand when the shutdown's over? Will there even be a demand when the shutdown's over? Or will the pilots in training go and find something else? Will they survive this pandemic or will they have to shut their doors? And will this cause the aviation industry to face even more hardship than they were in before COVID 19 struck? So here's the breakdown of this hour coming up. We're going to find out who our panelists are, get to know them a little bit, and find out what they do in flying schools. We're going to ask them how COVID-19 impacted them. And then finally, we're going to talk about how you become a pilot and how you become a flight instructor. At the end, we'll get to your questions if we didn't answer them throughout. So we are going to start with our panelists. We have, uh, first up, we have Carolyn. She's a marketing manager at Waterloo Wellington Flight Center out in Ontario. Hello, Carolyn. Hello. Uh, We have Shauna, who's the Assistant Chief Flight Instructor at the Waterloo Wellington Flight Center as well. Hi, Shauna. Hi, everybody. We have Sophia. If you follow Elevate at all, you don't need an introduction to Sophia. She is the employer or sorry, the um, director of advocacy for Elevate Aviation. She's the chief flying instructor at the Edmonton Flying Club, a pilot examiner, and a corporate pilot. Good morning, Sophia. Morning. We have Gladys, who's a chief flight instructor, hey. pilot examiner, and uh, flies contract for Super T Flying Aviation School in Medicine Hat. Good morning, Gladys. Good morning. Gladys is showing up as Sophia because she's using Sophia's link to get on here today, but, but so... Don't be confused. One's Sophia, one's Gladys. <laughs> and Carolina, a flight instructor, a charter pilot for Monterre Aviation at Pitt Meadows. Good morning, everybody. Okay, so we are going to start off by saying good morning to Caleb. Good morning, Caleb. Oh, we had a great conversation. Thanks for joining us today. Um, we, uh, first, I want to know a little bit about you and what you do in your roles so let's start let's go and uh let's start with Shauna. Shauna can you tell us what do you do like tell us first a little bit about you and then what you do in aviation.
0: Sure, um, my story's probably a little different than everyone else. Uh, I came into aviation as a career change. Um, so I've only been a pilot for probably about five years. And in that time, um, went through all my training to become a flight instructor. So now with uh, Waterloo Wellington Flight Center, I'm a class one instructor. And um, I am an assistant chief flight instructor. So I supervise about, 25 to 30 class three and class four instructors. Um, and I'm responsible for the delivery of the flight training portion of the student's education.
1: Okay, thank you so much. Uh, so Caroline, how about you? So I'm also at the uh, flight,
2: the Waterloo Wellington Flight Center. I'm the marketing manager. I've been there for almost four years now um, and had no previous involvement in aviation at all, except for traveling. So um, yeah, so my background is uh, I've worked for a lot of nonprofits and a marketing agency, and that so I had a really good kind of background uh, coming into it, and uh, just was able to apply all those skills um, it, at the flight center. Um, yeah, so it's been a great journey. I've I've become passionate about aviation in this short time period, and uh, I'm just inspired every day by all the stories from staff and students and. How people get involved and uh, where they go from here it's it's just a great career
1: I don't know anyone in aviation who's not passionate about aviation it'll get you, <laughs> if, you if you enter it right it'll get you uh I don't know if every industry is like this but boy are people in aviation passionate uh Carolina how about you?
3: Um, I started flying in about 2000, and I've kind of gone back and forth in between the industries. I actually left aviation <laughs> for a little bit, so it's nice say hi. Um, and uh, I've been a Class 2 instructor for a while now, and also multi-IFR instructor at Monterre. I've done uh, class coordination, and also I was the chief ground instructor for a while at Monterre. And recently, I also joined the charter company. So I've also been doing some charter flying. Okay, great. Thank you. And uh, Gladys, other Sophia. The other
4: Sophia. Good (laughs) morning.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, my position has changed
4: since uh, you introduced me. Actually, I've resigned from Super T Aviation about a year and a half ago. I have returned back to Calgary, where my home is. So for three years, I've been driving back and forth between medicine Hatton in Calgary. I am currently a class one flight instructor, freelance instructor, and I'm also a pilot examiner, and of course do some charter work as well. I was just transitioning back into corporate when, of course, our beautiful covert nineteen has happened.
1: Oh, uh-huh. um, And uh, Sophia, I don't know much about you. Tell us about you. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. You're <laughs> funny. When you
5: say, like, uh, she's the other Sophia, it's more like I'm the other Gladys, because Gladys was one of my first flight instructors and and got me through and a lot of where I am today. And then my connection to Waterloo is kind of cool, too, because my assistant chief is actually trained from Waterloo. Um, So kind of a cool... I love that about this industry, is that we're always, you know, connected in such cool, small ways. Um, So I'm the chief pilot at the Edmonton Flying Club, have been for, like, nine years. Uh, (laughs) She's kind of bananas. Class one uh, pilot examiner for... Private through multi IFR, and uh, I also fly a Citation 560 in the kind of corporate side of things. um, But that'll slow down now as well, so not flying right now. But uh, and then, of course, director of advocacy with Elevate, so lots of fun stuff there
1: that keeps her busy. Keeps her busy. (laughs) Okay, I have some questions. Um, So, flying schools you're all very familiar with them, obviously. But if you're not in aviation and you're not a pilot, some, you know, like I didn't actually know anything about flying schools at all until I met Sophia, actually. I was at air traffic controller. I went directly, no aviation experience directly into air traffic control. So didn't know a lot about pilots, except that they talked to me in my ear through a, through a headset. Um, So some of the questions that we have are um, where do you find your students? Like, how, where do you go to find students who, and who wants to take that one who would have some advice I'll on that? I'll start out while everyone's okay. thinking okay <laughs> um so we
2: at uh, the waterloo we go to a lot of career fairs um And we've just, in the last year, we've started uh, even expanding more and going across Canada. Uh, When I first started, it was mostly in Ontario. Um, So at these career fairs, uh, there's a lot of students from high schools, sometimes even younger, grade seven or eight. Um, And it's really interesting uh, to see them, you know, come up to the booth and, you know, I want to be a pilot and I've always wanted to be a pilot. And they tell, they love telling their stories and, and ask questions on how they can get involved and how they can start down their career path. Um, and in other ways too, we also do offer uh, grade six uh, tours uh, on Tuesdays until about a month or so ago. Um, but uh, we, we were fortunate enough to build a partnership with the school board here and uh, and we've been doing that and that's been really successful as well. So I think, um, and I actually, i can't forget that we also do some uh, really amazing events um, that really reaches out to the community and gets families and students and kids involved. Um, We do Girls Can Fly in May, which who knows at this point, and then uh, Aviation Fun Day as well, which is in the summer. So um, it's just, it's really great uh, to see people come out to all of those events and just want to get involved and they
1: want to learn more. So, um, Shauna, when you're going out to these, I'm I'm just assuming that you go and speak as well. Maybe you don't. Okay. Um, When you're going out to these career fairs and and for everyone, um, the people that you bring in, in as students, are they typically, like what percentage would you say are people that already knew they wanted to be a pilot or they know someone who's, a, you know, they know someone in aviation, so they're interested. As opposed to someone who's never heard this before and you're kind of like, hey, hey, person, come over here. I've got to tell you about a good job. I think, you know, it's a mix of both. We
0: certainly get, we partner as well with the university and the college. So we have an opportunity to have a wide variety of a student base. Um, You find, especially with young girls, um, there isn't necessarily an aviation background there. Um, And again, you're right that the industry, that underlying factor that you see in all pilots is, is this passion, this, this, Desire to be in the air and not on the ground, you know, Um, and that's what you see in these young girls And I think the key to Increasing the percentage of women in the industry is is we've got to get the word out when they're young You know when they're in grade five grade six and plant that seed and let them know that You know, this is this is an opportunity that's available to women not just a pilot But there's so many different aspects of the industry
1: yeah. Um, Sophia, luckily you're on here today. Uh, sorry to make you do this one, but um, so we have a learning center and we want to take that learning center across Canada. Sophia, do you want to talk about the learning center just for a moment? Yeah, it's uh, it's fantastic and
5: it's it's kind of a double for me because obviously I'm involved with Elevate, but similar to what Caroline was saying um, about, you know, going to schools and having grade sixes come in with the Elevate Education Learning Center. Um, we have groups from grade sixes all the way to, you know, high school to Either, you know, people that are looking for a career change, like Sean, uh, you know, like people that think, well, they can't, the different classes that we ran last year. And uh, they, for the flying club portion of it, the students come out for the morning on uh, every Wednesday for however many weeks. And it's different groups of students every week, and or people I should say they're not all students. And uh, they come to the flying club, and we have a little talk about well, how do you become a pilot? And we always like to ask like, how many of you even knew that there were flight schools? And like Edmonton area, there's six um, in the surrounding area, and most of them had no idea, or and they just don't think about it. Um, others, of course, that are air cadets, know and, and went on. Those kids are always super excited. So after we talk a little bit about how it works then we take the kids and we go in the flight simulators and they each get a fly and we get them all to take off and land. And, you know, we have uh, the fun thing there is we have our up and coming flight instructors kind of coach them in the, the uh, simulators. So it's, you know, kind of good practice for them as well. And then they, uh, we do a walk around with them and kind of explain to them, well, how does that work and why is that important? And, and, and they get to do a paper airplane toss and like every place does something a little different and, and with the different groups. And the best part of it is just at the end, so many of these, you know, young people, or not like just anyone that attends comes up and is just so excited and and like passionate about hey I didn't even know this existed and whether it's for them or for someone they know or just that you know additional I got to touch and feel an airplane and sit in the cockpit today Um, it's, it's really neat and it's really powerful to see
1: we're coming down to you Caroline (laughs) bringing it there no um Carolina where do you find the flight instructors like what what how do you qualify for a flight instructor we'll get into the training stuff later but like how do you how do you find the flight instructors is it someone just says they want to be a flight instructor or do they have to meet a certain qualification or do they have to kind of pass the Carolina likes me test
3: yeah well (laughs) um all of our students um once they want to become a flight instructor, they have to have a commercial license. So once they have a commercial license, then they can apply for the instructor course and they have to go through an instructor course with a class one instructor, like many of the ladies that are on the call today. And they do a whole bunch of ground school and they get all their lessons prepared. They go on the airplane, they'll learn to fly the airplane from the other seat. And then they go and do a flight test, a written exam and a flight test. And then once they pass those two, then they can become a class four flight instructor. And that's how you get started as a flight instructor, basically. Um, the way we find them is a big number of them are students already at the schools most of the time. Um, other, other ways is if, you know, if there's a school that's not hiring at the time, then those instructors would go to a different school. But that's the way it normally works. Okay, so with the curriculum in the schools, Gladys, and you say that you're a,
1: a freelance instructor, which is not something I'm really familiar with. Um, where does a curriculum come from to, for flight instructors to teach to be a flight instructor? Like, is it, is it made up at each individual school? And what do you do as a freelance or instructor?
4: Yes, each school has the syllabus that all class fours would go through. As a freelance instructor, I have my own syllabus. So I could, if they choose to hire me, I can go into a school and be a freelance instructor as a class one to conduct class four ratings. Um, All schools have to set a syllabus, basically has to be approved by Transport Canada. So all of our syllabuses are approved. Again, it goes by the Canadian air regulations. And of course we have to go by the flight instructor guide that is laid out for us to follow.
1: So I'm assuming it's, it's pretty similar, whether you're training at, at any of your schools, it's, it's all pretty mm-hmm. similar on uh, what they're learning? I believe it's
4: all the same. Okay. There might be some different courses that some of them put in. Of course, we put in as many courses as we possibly can to teach every aspect that we possibly can that, pardon me, that they possibly could encounter as a flight instructor. Okay. Because every student is different.
1: Okay. Okay, three more questions, then we're going to move on to the COVID part. Time flies so fast in this hour. just goes, (laughs) we can talk all day. Um, Who wants to take this one? Uh, The question is, um, does everyone who goes through your school, do they all become commercial pilots, or are there other options?
5: Yeah, I can take that one. Um, No, you know, it it varies. Uh, We probably have, uh, it depends on the time of year. You know, the last couple of years, it's been very... Uh, commercial airline kind of focused students or, or, you know, not necessarily airline, but people that want a job as a pilot. Uh, But before that, like I'd say, even, you know, five, six years ago, it was at you know, closer to 65% were just people doing it for fun. You know, it had been a hobby they really wanted or a goal that they just wanted to get maybe their private license and eventually a night rating and just kind of do it as something to keep challenging their minds. Um, versus now and recently it's been very much uh, you know kind of switched that maybe now we're down to like 30% of those are people that just want to fly for fun and the rest are ones that want to go all the way through and I knew this is a career.
1: Okay um, what percentage of women are pilots why do you think it's still so low and is, has it changed over the years of so the percentage of students that you're seeing coming in is, as uh, female? Shauna do you have something for that one? Sure. Um, you know, I
0: think roughly about the industry, the percentage of women is five to six percent. So incredibly low, um, I, you know, again, it's a non-traditional job. I think many young girls don't think that as, as women, that it's a career that is an option for them. Um, I think certainly at the at Waterloo Wellington, we have seen a shift Um, our current percentage of female students is hovering around 17%. We do see that fluctuate in years, but it's certainly increasing. So I think we're on the right track in terms of um, You know, talking to to the kids talking to girls hosting events that that highlight women in aviation. So I think the curve is coming. And I think, you know, women have a lot to offer, you know, not that I'm biased or anything, but <laughs> certainly, you know, from AMEs to, you know, flight attendants, to pilots, to air traffic controllers, um, slowly we're beginning to see that increase.
1: Yeah,
2: I Oh, Sorry, go ahead, who's that? Uh, I was just gonna mention, I'm sure you'll bring it up Kendra, but the mentorship programs that are being offered now um, are really making a difference. And we are seeing a lot of our students getting involved in those programs, either as mentors or, or asking for mentors themselves. So I think that's really great to see.
1: And for you, is that male and females are looking for mentors?
2: Yeah, I would say so for sure. Um, but I, th- I hear more stories from the females. So, <laughs> But uh, there's it's definitely happening.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting, eh, the difference between men and women. Like, I, I think everyone can do these jobs in aviation equally, and everyone brings their own strengths to it. And when there's a good mix on the team, I think it's really wonderful. At least I can speak to, about air traffic control that way. When you're working with a co-ed group, it's, you know, it's fun. It's, it's mm-hmm. um, powerful. I have to read what Perry wrote here to you guys. Okay. Um, again, it's awesome to see an all-female webinar. Thank you, Perry. Uh, it's not always going to be all-female, but thank you. Uh, one piece of advice uh, to students when talking to air traffic control and they ask for your height and position, do not say 5'8 and sitting down when the answer is 2,000 feet above ground and it'd be more Uh my question, okay. is, my question is for the students uh, whether just starting out VFR or someone about to finish their multi-engine IFR. Any ideas on staying current would be helpful. Does anyone want to take that one on?
5: I guess I can. Um, the, the, we're actually dealing with that a lot right now with, you know, this COVID thing and nobody being able to fly. Um, and the biggest thing we can encourage is, is to keep reading, keep studying, keep paying attention to things like this, um, getting engaged. And, you know, like there are options out there for to fly or, you know, the simulators and such like that. Um, there's even nowadays some awesome apps, especially if you're thinking IFR, like I'm sure every lady on here has hold trainer programs somewhere on their phone or, you know, there's all kinds of cool things out there to help you stay current uh, and to keep learning. There's, you know, you could get super, I don't I want to call it nerdy, but it is a little nerdy is, you know, like reading through the, the aim and going through different, you know, uh, advisory circulars that come out and understanding what they are and what they mean and, and reaching out to flight instructors. Like, any of the ladies on here I'm sure could talk for hours about what we do and about airplanes. Um, I know Gladys and I have had that and Carol and I have had that conversation for you know, over and over just talking about airplanes. So if you have questions and, or want advice, just keep asking and, and don't be afraid to,
1: to just talk about it. Yeah, that's a, that's a good uh, pitch even like if you wanna mentor, they can contact us and we can hook you up with people all over Canada who want to, including all the women on here, um, and go ask, right? Good advice. Okay, we're going to move on to COVID now. So here we are in the world of aviation. There's this huge shortage. Pilots are in high demand all over the entire world. And now there's hardly any airplanes flying in the sky. So what is that going to do in relation to the flying schools? So for, for all of you, you're all closed down at the moment. Is that correct?
2: Yeah.
1: yeah sure. Okay, so um, let's start with um, Carolina, what has been uh, the biggest impact on COVID-19 for you? or And if anyone wants to jump in, what's, what's the biggest impact that COVID-19 has had? And uh, let's start with that.
3: Well, I think like you said, you know, like every flight school in the area is pretty much closed. Um, I know some schools were doing very limited solo flying. Uh, but at the same time, there's only so much that you can do of that. You don't want students to be doing a whole bunch of solo flying and then no duels in between to make sure that their their skills are kept up. So many schools are hesitant even to do that, or even to go into the school and get people not social distance right so a lot of the schools are closed many people are laid off in the industry at the moment um and the movement in the industry that this, the instructors were seeing that you know there was that shortage of instructors in the flight schools that's no longer the case actually i've been thinking i've been seeing that some of the uh flight schools are seeing a, a large number of applications right now for people looking for jobs oh
1: yeah we're getting people too asking us about careers in aviation and so that's partly why we're doing this webinar let's keep the conversation going right this will pass do you all think that uh, um goddess when this passes will you be as busy as before do you think yes i do and i've uh, chatted with a
4: couple of the flight schools here in the spring bank area everyone is as we've just stated closed but they feel that once COVID 19 is over the industry will pick up and hopefully will continue i don't know about what's happening in the east but in the Calgary Springbank area, we have 100 to 200 people on the waiting lists for the flight training schools. Oh, and I believe, Sophia, you have the same amount.
5: Yeah, well, I don't know about all the other schools in Edmonton, but we have about a 70 person list right now just at our school alone.
4: Great.
1: How are question- you going to deal with this? Like, how do you deal with the demand now? There's going to be, it sounded like maybe you're saying there's going to be a backlog now, even worse than. Than before and are the airlines going to need as many pilots do you think it'll go back to that or do you think that that's going to change that's
4: the million-dollar question because how many airlines are laying off how many people Mm -hmm. Um, again on I know on March 16th there were two ground schools supposed to happen one for uh, one in BC and one in Calgary all of those students were then given their letter Stating ground school was not going to happen. So we have pilots out there that were moving on to the industry as in airlines that now have to go back to flying charter or medevac or even if they do have a job in that industry.
1: And out east, do you, are you guys seeing the same thing out east?
0: Pretty much. I would say, you know, the day that we closed and, you know, the It was kind of like the brakes went on and it's really easy to fall into this you know pattern of negativity and what's gonna happen and where are we gonna go but I think you know even from the webinars that you've you've been able to host Kendra when you're talking of you know to pilots and to the flight attendants and everyone seems to have that common um, that common underlying theme of you know what we it will rebound the industry will go back to the way it was as before it might take uh, a little longer than we would like but um, so that's how we're focusing at uh, at the Flight Center in Waterloo is we're going to continue you know with our ground schools online keeping our students engaged um, making sure that you know they're still studying and then as soon as we can get the go-ahead to get the planes in the air you know there's going to be yeah that gap in training but we're confident we're going to be able to gain that traction Pretty quick, um, so that there isn't such a detriment to the students' training.
1: Um, do you? Does anyone here think that they the pilots were moving along a little too quickly, and we needed something to slow it down? Not that we needed COVID. I'm not saying that at all, but. Um, <laughs> You know, there was a time when, and, and I am not the expert on this, but um, from what I understand, there was a time that when you got your pilot license, you went up north, you did work as a baggage handler, you put a lot of work in, and now it seems, you know, you're kind of going, you know, you blink your eyes, and now you're sitting on an airplane in Air Canada or, or wherever. Um, do you think that it's good that it's slowing down a little bit, anybody, or, or am I totally wrong there?
2: Um, I think that it's, it's given, in not just in aviation, but all industries, a chance to sort of step back and reassess um, and looking at processes, looking at health and safety measures. I think that's probably the biggest thing that, that I would say. Um, yeah, it's just sort of, you may, you're, we're going to see some changes coming out of this and it might be kind of a slower sort of start, but uh, it's going to ramp back up again.
5: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I mean, in aviation, most of us are pretty used to the cyclical cycle that it is. I mean, this isn't the first big down drop. This isn't going to be the first big rise. Um, the industry has been through this and will continue to go through this it's just the nature um, of, of it right um, as well as we still do have a lot of you know baby boomers that are going to continue to retire so there's still going to be movement it's not like you know there and some of them are retiring even earlier so there's there's still a lot of hope and a lot of excitement in this industry and people still want to travel business may change things may change but the industry it we're not going anywhere um, it might be a different climb up a different hill but we're not going anywhere Yeah.
3: I think that was a really good point, Safiya, because what we've seen in the, uh, a lot of the airlines right now is a lot of people are t- t- taking early retirement. So what we were seeing of that really big shortage of pilots is probably going to maybe get worse, I would say, in a few years.
1: So well, then you would still encourage people to please come get your pilot license?
2: Yes, absolutely. Definitely.
1: <laughs> yes. So uh, one of the things that was happening before COVID, and I'm not sure to you all directly, but one of the things, as we know, the pilots couldn't be pumped out fast enough for for the demand around the world. Um, Are are you guys looking at that now Are are any of you before COVID, were any of you trying to do anything to to change that to, to be able to train more people quickly?
2: I think one of the things we were uh, really trying to, to do is to build partnerships with the airlines um, and look at what, what do they need, what, you know, what kind of uh, employees do they need, what kind of training in trying to create that transition from being a student to going right to the airlines or to your career to being a smooth one.
5: Yeah, we're doing the same, but we're actually trying to focus more instead of on the airlines, but on all the other companies that are kind of getting hit by this airlines trying to, you know, take so many people so fast. So we've been partnering more with the medevac companies and the small charter organizations, um, which are those really awesome stepping stones. And, And I always say you have an amazing career ahead of you enjoy it what's the rush of you know jumping right to an airline when you can try all these other cool planes along the way so uh, there's so many cool partnerships out there and, and I totally agree with what what our Lou's doing that's you know it's great to try and connect our new students to all these different companies and give them some options and and help them see you know where their their path could go they could be like some of us that are you know pretty happy in the flight and school uh, <laughs> flight instruction and flight school area and not want to go on or you know do a little bit of stuff on the side like some of us do or you know, there's so many
1: paths. Um, Sophia, while you're talking there, there is a question about wanting to know why you became pilots for those of you who are a pilot. Um, Sophia, I know your story. Um, just quickly, why don't we, if you guys don't mind sharing why you became pilots, um, a lot of people, we've done surveys and a lot of people who want to be pilots want to do that because their parent or someone they know is a pilot. I'm curious if that's the case with all of you or something else. Do you want to start, Sofia? Sure. Um, yeah, I
5: didn't know anyone that was in aviation at all, uh, until we had kind of a new person move into our small little town, and he ended up being a fighter pilot with the military. Um, and I was not in a good spot in my, my life. My 12-year-old self was not a, a really positive person. And he said, you should join Air Cadets. And I, I didn't want to, <laughs> but I did. Uh, and it was an awesome decision. I did the whole Air Cadet program. I loved it. I tried to go military. That was my goal, my dream. That's all I wanted. Uh, and I didn't get in. So then was trying to figure something out and actually stumbled upon the Mount Royal program completely by accident. I was already going there for general studies. Um, and then started the program. That's how I met Gladys. She was one of my flight instructors. I uh, She was the third pilot or third instructor I actually ever flew with and did a lot of my training with her. And Uh, continued through and just you know fell through that and thought I'd go military but then afterwards kind of fell in love with the civilian side and didn't look
1: back. Thank you. Uh, Gladys? Hello. Well
5: I am
4: one of those people that I learned to fly with my father. My father was a private pilot so I learned to fly just fell in love with it. Uh, Went through the air cadet program as a civilian instructor once I got my gliding license got my private license, my commercial, I just had some mentors along the way that kept saying, now what are you going to do? Now what are you going to do? So I just kept going and I got my instructor reading and I have been instructing ever since. So it's a, it's a passion, it's a love. Passion. You, you love your students and you put your heart and soul into
1: their training. All the students? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's um, <fine>. uh, <laughs> Carolina, how did you start?
3: Oh, I'm an easy one. I, you know, I loved watching airplanes on TV and seeing them go really fast, like fighter jets and all that. Uh that I dream of flying an F-16, probably not going to happen, but, uh, you know, even now I love flying little and big airplanes and anything in between. I just love it.
1: Thank you. And Shauna? Uh, Well,
0: my story is a little different because this was a career change for me. I've always, I think, had this passion of wanting to fly. I grew up in a small town in Saskatchewan, didn't even have an airport. So I never gave it a second thought. I just thought this wasn't a reality for me. And um, a few years ago, my daughters bought me an introductory flight for my birthday. And I went in that plane and it was glorious. And all I could think about was how do I get your job? Because I want your job. And now, you know, like the saying is, if, if you're passionate about what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And that's how I feel. I feel like I, I, I don't work. I, go to, I, go to, I, I drive to the flight center every day with a smile on my face. And can't wait to be there and want to be there and you know like Gladys said you just you put your heart and your soul into your students and it is the most rewarding career um, in, in my opinion that one could have. I love hearing this.
1: Caroline a lot of times when they talk about uh, aviation careers a lot of people are only talking about pilots and they only hear about pilots pilots flight attendants pilots flight, flight attendants we're really trying to change that and Caroline you're a good example of being in aviation but Um, you're, you're not, you don't have your pilot license, right? Not a pilot. No, (laughs) I get asked if I'm a pilot
2: all the time (laughs) and and on the situation, I might say, yeah, sure.
1: (laughs) What do you love the most about your job?
2: Um, well, what I really want is history has always been my, my passion, um, that I realized a kind of an early stage that it wasn't going to be a career for me. <laughs> so, But I've always tried to have it as a part of uh, everything that I do. Um, so I got into communication studies and, and marketing, and I thought that would be great because then I could do anything because everyone needs to communicate, everyone needs to market what they're doing. Um, and I've been fortunate enough to find a lot of uh, careers and in jobs and companies that, uh, that I can do that for. And so aviation, as I said before, it's, it's just, the passion is just, it's incredible. And it just from the employees, from the students, it's just, it's great. And so I love going to my job. I love going out to the career fairs and talking about it and what we do and what they do and, and, uh, how it can fulfill people's dreams. It's just, it, it makes my job easy.
1: You know, I love every webinar that we've had so far. Everyone is passionate about this industry, even during this pandemic. Everyone is mm-hmm. still passionate about this industry. So, you know, we want to shout from the rooftops, come <laughs> to aviation, you know, it's a hard time right now. But um, as the pilots were saying, we were talking to the, uh, some commercial pilots there the other day and they were saying it, it goes like this, but you just, you uh, surf the turbulences as Rose, one of them said, and you get through it, and you get to continue to live a life of passion. So we're moving into uh, the, the final part of our, of our um, time together, and we're really gonna start digging into some training questions. So here, here's a question that we have. Um, for the pilot examiners, what are two things private pilot candidates should make sure they know? If they don't, you're thinking they can't pass?
4: That's a good question. Gladys, you take that one. That's a very good question. <laughs>
5: can I Are make a suggestion? Go for yeah. it. Attitude.
4: That's true. That's 100% true,
5: but not necessarily in the way you would think Think. right? (laughs) Um,
1: (laughs) you need to elaborate on that now.
2: Yeah, I just put the word out
5: there. (laughs) Yeah, I've definitely had the pilot come. um, You know, they say you be the attitude, you know, present yourself in the attitude. but that can kind of backfire. I've had guys that have shown up, you know, for a private pilot flight test dressed as a commercial, like airline pilot, like full white shirt, tie. Like I lo- I'm like looking in the mirror um, and they're like, oh, I got to get my picture afterwards like this. And I'm like, whoa, like just take your step, like uh-huh. slow down, s- fly the airplane. Let's see how this goes. And you know, half the time those guys have been the ones that, that don't pass because they're so fixated on the picture at the end of the flight um, that you know, they stop flying the airplane. <laughs> so, um, I think the attitude you're right, but like just having that attitude of, yes, I can do this. I will do this, but at my own pace. Um, I think, I don't know if Gladys, you'd agree with this, but I think people that really try to rush through it and like, don't just slow and like think through it, um, are usually the ones that, that have a problem and, and don't make it through the ride. And safety
4: first. Yes. Always safety first.
5: Don't fly in a no cloud. <laughs> fly
4: the airplane consider what's around you and continue to do the skill set that's required yes it is attitude but safety first yeah they get so fixated that they're not paying attention to air traffic control and they're very important even on a flight test because you have to follow their
1: instructions
4: And if they tell you to join left downwind you don't cross overhead the field
1: (laughs) we had the air traffic control uh, webinar we, they were joking about being the pilots' bosses, and then Melissa Haney came on the next day. Um, she's a commercial pilot, and she's like, "You're not our bosses." <laughs> it was kind of cute. Um, okay, another question: Can someone keep their IFR current in the simulator?
5: Yes. Um, so the, there's a couple of different rules that come into apply. Two years after your flight test or your initial ride, um, you have you know, one full year of currency, and then it's a rule called the six, six and six. Um, not, it's kind of a funny number, I know, but it's having to do six hours of, of IFR instrument within six months and six approaches. Uh, and those can be done in the simulator, as well as then you can renew, it's called an instrument performance check, um, and it can be done in a simulator as long as that simulator is approved to do those uh, instrument proficiency
1: checks. Okay. Here's the big question that I don't know if we want to talk about, but we're going to talk about it. Um, money. So it's expensive to become a pilot. So what I want to know is how did you guys do it? If anyone wants to share that story and what do you recommend for people right now who want to be a pilot and don't have the money to become a pilot? And if you want, you can go into how much does it cost to become a pilot? Uh, let's see. Who wants to start with that? Carolina, do you want to start?
3: Yeah, um, I did it, it took me quite a long time to do it, to be honest, because I did it slowly. I wanted to pay for all of it myself. My parents didn't have the money to fund uh, flight training for me. So I worked full time and then on the side, I did my flight um, my flight school and I did it really, really slowly. The only thing it, I did get a loan for was towards the end, I did get a little bit of a loan for my finishing my multi-IFR and my instructor rating. Um, but that was it. I did it really slowly. I took my time, um, and that was the only way I I could do it, but I know there's some provinces do help you out a little bit more than BC. BC, unfortunately, is not great at doing that. Um, They don't give us a a huge amount of money in terms of student loans or anything like that, Um, but some other provinces do have some help, and, um, you know, if you can get a loan and do it, that's great. But aside from that, you know, just get started and one step at a time. That's what I would recommend everybody.
1: Okay, uh,
0: Shauna? I think, you know, Ontario is very similar. Um, you know, you can get um, student loans for, you know, if you're a university or college student for that portion. But um, there isn't a lot of funding available for the flight training portion. There are definitely a lot of scholarships out there. Um, COPA does post um, a list of scholarships that are available for students. But I think we, we recognize that, you know, it is, it is very, um, cost prohibitive to to do your flight training. And I think that's a lot of reason why, you know, not just women in general, but why it is difficult, you know, to get students into into the programs. And we're certainly trying to, you know, lobby government agencies, you know, in terms of helping them understand how cost prohibitive it is Mm -hmm. to do flight training. Um so we recognize it and we're trying to come up with solutions. And again, I think many schools out there, you know, will offer programs um, very similar to what Carolina has done, which is, you know, work full time, take take your flight training, do your flight training at your own pace that so that
5: it's affordable
0: to do. Mm-hmm.
5: Um, we're lucky in Alberta, we've got uh, students can get up to $68,000 in student loans once they have their private license done. So they can't get a loan for their PPL, but afterwards they can get up to $68,000. So wow. I guess Alberta it might be a good reference if you are lobbying the government, uh, to use in this example. We were only at like 30000 but they have pushed it up to uh, sixty eight within the last five years.
3: Mm.
1: Do you guys think that this is wrong, that we're not getting more help to help people become pilots, especially... Before COVID and probably after COVID within the in light of this huge problem that we're having with the shortage. Do you think that more work should be done to allow people to get financing. I don't know if you guys
4: want
3: to answer that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think think my own
3: personal opinion is 100% you know with such a big shortage of pilots um everybody was like what can we do to get more people in through the doors and and get their training done and you know get the industry in a much better place and and the only thing was we needed more help from the government to help those students that needed the help
1: yeah there's there's nothing more sad than when you see someone who wants to become a pilot and they say i can't because i can't afford it but yet i hear stories of people who persevere and uh and they make it through so maybe that's where you know if the government's not going to come in and, and help with finances we we need to step up our mentorship a little bit more and helping people find ways believe that they can do it because shauna
2: shauna mentioned uh scholarships like that's part of my job too is communicating all of the scholarships available and even in the four years that i've been doing this i've been seeing more and more available um coming from different different organizations and and that so the, there's definitely people are recognizing that there is a need for, for more uh, funding for students to do this so just just make yourselves aware of, of what's out there and what are the opportunities
1: okay i don't know who wants to answer this one do you need a cpl and or a degree to get a job as a pilot someone just jump in who wants to i
5: guess you do need a commercial but you do not need a university degree or diploma um i mean not say that going to university or college isn't amazing, Uh, we often encourage you to even look at you know, what else do you passionate? Do you like business? Do you like, I don't know, agriculture or whatever? If you, if you want some kind of degree or diploma, uh, go for it. I you know in Edmonton, there's a couple of college programs that have like a business diploma or degree that you can get and you get credit for your flight training. we have got quite a few students that do that sort of thing. Um, or, you know, there are college programs out there as well that you can get a diploma in aviation or degree in aviation, uh, but it's not required to get a job. Uh, it used to be back when, you know, you really needed all the hours and every kind of thing to get your resume on the top of that list that a diploma degree was one more tick in the box. But with the shortage, um, it's not required. Um, You do need a commercial license though to be paid to fly an airplane, um, and that's at any level.
1: Okay, Um, how long is the training? So is the length the same at all? I know we talked about the curriculum is, is pretty much the same. Is the length the same? Caroline, what is it at your school?
2: So uh, as Sean had mentioned before, we have partnerships with Conestoga College and University of Waterloo. Um, Conestoga College is a two year program. Uh, it takes some students a little longer, sometimes two and a half years, because um, it's, it's a lot in those two years to get it all done. Um, and then the university program is four years. So um, those ones are more structured programs in terms of your flight training and your educational, your academic uh, courses. But we also have a lot of students who just, like Carolina said, um, just kind of take it at their own pace. Like they're, they're working full-time or they're working part-time and they're doing their flight training on the side and they, they have the same goals, um, but they're just, they're just doing it on their own. And, and it can be for different reasons for funding um, just other things that they're, that's going on in their lives.
0: I always tell uh, prospective students that, you know, flight training is going to be one of the most challenging things you will ever do, that you will ever take on, not just in terms of the academics and the skill set and the money, but if it was easy, it wouldn't be worth doing. And if it was easy, we wouldn't have a pilot shortage because anybody could do it. So, you you know, persevere even in this time when we're not flying, you know, stay focused um, plug through because again once you get to the end you know regardless of what you do medevac uh, air service flight instructing it it is the most rewarding career you could have
5: yeah so just to really answer like the final question it can I think the shortest I've ever seen someone go from nothing to having a commercial license um, and being able to get a job was about a year and then they went on to just flying um, like single engine that was without a multi multi-IFR and then they did their multi-IFR after to do all of it together like to commercial multi-IFR af- after the private year and a half um, but you know I've also seen people take five six seven eight years to do it so it totally depends on the individual I don't think there's any like it's only this time and that's the only right answer because everybody is different everybody learns different everybody's different circumstance yeah
1: Okay, here's a question from me. (laughs) Um, So when I was down, I was uh, fortunate enough to go down to Waterloo, Wellington and uh, spend some time down there with you guys. And one of the things that I heard when I was down there were that some of the students were afraid to talk to air traffic control. Uh, is this something that you all is this common? Are students afraid of it? Is there something that air traffic control should be doing to to help with this? Because I remember when I was speaking, Caroline, uh, I made a joke saying all the air traffic controllers in the world are as friendly as me, and they all they laughed, and I was like, <laughs> okay, maybe we need to do some PR work to the students. I don't know. How do you guys feel about that?
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: I, I definitely have heard, heard the talk um, that air traffic controllers are scary. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, there's probably some education that way. I know um, at Waterloo, we're, we're having some of the controllers. They're coming from NAVT, They're coming and doing workshops and talking to our students and customers about, you know, summertime flying and different types of things. And hopefully seeing the faces uh, to match up with these voices
3: will
1: help uh, with that. That's fine. Carolina, what were you going to say?
3: Yeah, sorry, Caroline. Um, Yes, our students, like I have encountered that with my students for sure. But I think it's also because many times we're still training our ears when we first start. Um, Some students are also ESL, so that's a little bit scary too. It's on top of that, you know, the English. Uh, But we do the same thing. We take our students up at the towers and we even take them to the uh, centre if we can and the, you know we when we get to meet them the controllers are the nicest people in the world but you know on the radio sometimes it's a little bit scary for a lot of our students for sure but I, and I
1: just want to say uh, you just said tower and centre so I just want to explain that really fast is the tower is whatever in pictures is the tower and but there are seven centres across Canada uh, the one in Edmonton is they work 5.5 million square miles of airspace out of that building. And there's, there's seven of those buildings across Canada. Anyway, you can learn more by contacting us. Here's a good question. Um, good afternoon. Uh, we know that flying schools and colleges see about 12% females, we were talking about the percentage earlier, in the industry, but we only see, as we know, 6% female pilots. What do you think accounts for that drop-off and what might we do to mitigate that? Great question, thank you.
5: I think it's we have to look at the perspective of that. It's just been recently, um, and correct me if I'm wrong with the rest of your schools, but that we've seen such an increase. So our graduates last year, we had 25% were female at EFC. And before that, I think we had like 5%. So, you know, in the last year, we're seeing and two years, even, you know, we're starting to get a bigger, bigger input. So I think it'll be a while before that hits the industry um, as well, because, you know, our 25% across the country is 0.00001, right? So um, if it'll take a while to to change that, I, I don't necessarily know if it's a complete drop off of them completing training and not getting jobs, or if it's just that the change is finally starting to
1: happen. Anyone else want to chip
4: in on that one? I what think are, sorry, go, I think go females are. I think females are starting to recognize that they can do this.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: I, I think it's always been a male dominated industry. So now, if you look at the panel, there's a lot of females in this industry. It's just that a lot of us or part of us are industry instructors, not all of us are airline pilots.
1: Well, maybe- so, is an amazing job you get to go home every day like I I, when I first went to buy I was like wow you've got the best job of all pilots in my opinion you get to go home every night and you have regular hours well maybe (laughs) 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 Uh, you know you get to go home every day um yeah so I think it's a great job especially if, if you if you I don't know if you have family it's great to be home every night maybe you don't want to be flying all the time but um you all obviously agree, it's a great job.
2: I think too, wow. the, when, when you had the pilots uh, speaking the other day, they were talking about the lifestyle and how the lifestyle has changed. Um, so I think sharing that uh, with, with students uh, is probably beneficial as well because they probably have a perceptive that, oh, you're gone for you know four or five days and how can you have a family with that, right?
1: So, but that's not the case anymore.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and when you want something, and you're passionate about it, you you make it work in your life, right? It, you make mm-hmm. it work. So we only have a few minutes left. I'm just wondering if any of you want to brag about your schools.
5: <laughs> um, I actually want to brag about something else other than my schools. Um, I recently did, uh, because a lot of us have been laid off as pilots, whether you're flight instructor or whatever, or AMEs or anything, Um, and one of the big things is we have lots of time on our hands, and we don't have to adhere to a a 48-hour donating blood rule, so I challenge each of you ladies and anyone watching to get out there and donate some blood. Um, We've got a pilots give blood hashtag going, so I encourage everybody to get out there and and donate some blood, because you've got the time.
3: (laughs) I, booked my I just wanted to I
2: just wanted to thank you Kendra and Elevate crew for, for doing these panels. It's just been fantastic and uh really uplifting. I've been watching every single one and I always feel excited and happy again after I see them. so I'm sure lots of other people are feeling the same.
1: Thank you for sharing that That's why we want to do this. We're hoping to bring a little hope in the world and and keep keep the passion going through this crazy time that we're in right now. So thank you for that. I really appreciate that. And happy birthday, Kendra.
2: Yes, happy, happy birthday. birthday. Yes, happy birthday, Kendra.
1: <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm going to be uh, with a, a little cupcake with me and myself with a little cupcake. later. I think it's <laughs> self-isolating birthday. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so Kar- Carolina, anything from you that you want to brag about about your school or why people should go or or, or Gladys? I guess, i you're a freelancer,
3: so. The school I work for is slightly different at this time. We are accepting yes, yes. Um, I would we just a, like, a, I would like to brag
4: about all my friends and where they're at today, half of them in the industry. Oh,
1: God, as she finished, it froze there a little bit, so there's a yeah. oh. God, as she finished, then we'll go to Carolina. She's a little frozen. oh yes of course as a flight instructor i would like to brag about all my
4: former students one of them being on this panel and Mm
1: -hmm. oh i think i got cut off (laughs) yeah yeah we am glad that you want
4: to brag about your students i think one was sophia yes she was and all of the other students that are out there now working in the industry as flight instructors and or as officers I have former students flying medevac and airlines, and I'm proud of all of them. And I'm hoping that we can encourage more to continue. Excellent.
1: Carolina, sorry about that.
3: Oh, no, no, no. Um, So I was saying that the school I work for is slightly different. We have an integrated ATPL program. So it's a program that in about 12 to 14 months, we finish everything from first flight to multi-IFR. That's our goal uh with a frozen atpl and we have a, a large chunk of our students are international students but we are accepting local students as well in pit meadows in in bc so th- that's why our school is slightly different than all the other schools we don't do a lot of the slow uh program like i did myself uh but we try to do the accelerated program instead okay okay any final words, shauna
0: Thank you very much for inviting me to be a part of the panel. And just a plug for uh, our flight school is, you know, w- we offer a wide variety of programs, right? From very focused and concentrated right down to your own pace. Um, but I think it's important and what we try to keep uh, top of mind in terms of the culture of the school is, is you know, we, we welcome diversity. We want it to, we want our, our school to feel like a community. Um, that everyone is engaged. Again, even when we're not flying, we're still trying to engage all of our students and make them feel like they're a part of a community.
5: Part of a family.
1: Yeah. Our yeah. big aviation family. Um, <laughs> I just want to mention Richard Godfrey is, is, is listening. Hi, Richard. Uh, he's actually putting forward a bill. It is the, it's called Bill 201. Um, I talked to him about it. I need to know a little bit more about it, but basically it's uh, putting forward a bill in aviation um, in Alberta to help aviation grow in Alberta. And I'm willing to do whatever I can to help him with that. Um, So we'll keep you guys updated on what that is. And maybe that's something that uh, we can take in other provinces and and get going. I'm not sure if Richard already has those conversations going or not in other provinces, but um, certainly something to follow anyway. And that brings us to the end of our time. So you ladies are so inspirational and so passionate. And I can't thank you enough for being part of this panel. And uh, I want to say to everyone that was watching, thank you so much for being on here. Uh, Again, um, if you're not on our newsletter, that's how you know about these webinars, the the easiest way. So sign up for our newsletter on our website, which is just elevateaviation.ca. We have mentors we have bursaries we have a learning center in Edmonton and Calgary which is of course postponed right now but uh, hopefully we'll be back up and running and um, so if you need anything in aviation we can help you so contact us and we can we can just hook you up with whoever you need to talk to um, and so if you're out there and you're you're just starting out in aviation please reach out for a mentor and if you're in aviation and you just want to connect with people or you want a mentor as well to help you maybe go through the ranks of aviation and uh, we can help with that too with this wonderful women that we have as mentors and men actually we have men male mentors too which um, we didn't talk a lot about the men but oh my gosh where we, where would we be without the men that are helping us so much um, anyway thank you all so much i want you all to have a wonderful wonderful day please stay safe and stay healthy and uh, thank you all for being part of this Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. We will see you all next time. We'll do it again. Have okay. a great birthday. We'll Thank you very much. Bye bye, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.